All right, people. Are you ready for season six? I am. Yeah, let's do it. Only one thing to say then. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Great to be back. Hi, everybody. Welcome to season six. Welcome. Yay. So good to see you both. It's been so long. It has been a long, long break. And as always, we offer no explanations or apologies. Uh, we had a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot to do, but we're super psyched to be back. Um, <laughs> oh, super psyched. I, I'm curious. What have you guys been up to? I've stumped the panel. Stumped. Um, what have I been up to? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's only been like nine months since we've done this. Life. I, I life, mean, life. trying to get back to normal life, I guess. I right? mean, normal is Come so by. relative. Normal is so relative. But now that the pandemic is over, you know, uh, no, I'm kidding. It's not over. It's it's not over. Although we like to pretend that it is. It's but definitely not over. Jason, how is life going for you in a, just a few words? Everyone I love is healthy. My human nature continues to find things to suffer about okay (laughs) that's how we're starting trisha (laughs) trisha please (laughs) please can we do we have to restart the show (laughs) trisha uh, i'll just one jason i'll just cut that out trisha how are you I think I'm um I'm trying to like develop a cadence for normal life again. You know, I was yep. just talking to a friend and we were saying how um we both need to get out and make more friends. And I was like, oof, how does one do that? How are we gonna do that? Yeah. But actually, I don't know if we need to make new friends or as much as we just need to start reconnecting with our, the ones we have and doing things again. Um, because I literally I didn't literally, but I did shut most things down and was like, okay, well, I'm inside now and just having a good time. And now I just have to re-engage the world. Obviously, it's still cautiously and all the things that one is supposed to do, but there's like a whole new cadence to life again, right? Like, it's like, what are we doing now? How are we doing this? Where are we meeting? I really feel you about the um, reconnecting. Someone just sent me like a, a flyer for this drag queen who's going to be performing in Brooklyn in a couple of weeks. And I was like, oh my God, I love her. I'd love to go see her. But it was like 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. And I immediately thought, one, <laughs> what? I, I could have had it at 9.30. And then two, I was like, so I just be in a bar like late at night? And the 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 way that felt so far into me, it really rocked me back. I was just like, wow, that's something I used to do like casually. But I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to schedule my entire weekend around this. Event. You know, it's so funny you say that. I had a long drive today, and I was listening to dance music, and I kind of had this like fleeting thought that felt like it was from 20 plus years ago of like, oh, huh, maybe I like want to go to a club this weekend. 
And yeah, that is such an absurd thought. I haven't been inside a club in forever. Like <laughs> that's just absurd. But it's like, it's not just, absurd. It's just unlikely nowadays. <laughs> well, I don't know. No, but like you said, I mean, I, it would take a lot of work, which in itself is absurd, to like plan that out. <laughs> so I, I, it just was from another era. It was like. That's very strange. I, I, I don't know if that is post-pandemic or just the fact that we are officially three years older than when we used to do those things. You know I what mean, I mean? Well, I'm more than three years older for mine. Maybe you're only three years older okay. than being in a bar from 10 to, 10 to 4. But... <laughs> well, I just don't know if that's my scene. Anymore or ever. I think I that's mean, what I'm going to drill really down into. Was I ever a bar person? I mean, yeah. I mean, yes. we used to. Yes. We used to. We used to. <laughs> yes. Let's not pretend. Yeah. But the to me now, the thought of being encloistered in a closed space. I'm sorry. I think I'm a little triggered. I might have to wait a while. <laughs> I was I was in Phoenix a couple of months ago. And mm-hmm. like because the weather is the way that it is, so many of the uh restaurants have like just ample outdoor space, mm-hmm. which is such the advantage of living. I guess I mean LA is not quite like that. Um mm-hmm. Because even though there's more space, it's but it just seems like in in Phoenix, people just spread the hell out, and everything was open to the sky. I was like, this is beautiful, you know. In New York, everything that is happening in a basement that the fire department has declared, like you know, do not be in there. But somehow there's a party full of 300 people. Uh, <laughs> I, that I I won't lie, that never was my scene. I've definitely been in those situations, but I'm not looking to return to it anyway. Mm. All right. Well, anyway, I'm happy to be back here with the two of you, even though Jason's opening was a little depressing. Uh, mm-hmm. I think <laughs> I'm happy to be with you both. I am so thrilled to talk to you two. Um, I have spent uh, the last couple of months listening to every episode of the podcast, and I have come to the conclusion. I'm going to say it. A lot of times I was full of shit, but <laughs> I was. Wow. I know I was. A lot of times I was full of shit. All of my ideas are different now, and I can't wait to share them with you. Wow, that's interesting. Maybe you should curate some times that each of us was kind of full of shit, and then we can talk about that. That could be like a topic. (laughs) Yeah, you were full of shit when you said that. We knew it then. Why didn't you know it then? Don't dare me, because you two were also (laughs) quite full of shit. It's just funny how you grow and change. I know we talked about this at the end of season finale a couple of seasons ago, but it's funny how we grow and change in conversation with each other. You you go Mm. back and listen, and we even, we reference like, oh, Trisha, you told me this in college, or remember when the three of us were in New York, like in the 90s? We're the same people, but my ideas have changed from two years ago. Now, granted, a lot of shit's gone on in the last two years, but it's mm-hmm. it's astounding to me. I was full of shit on a, a couple of things. <laughs> I need to apologize to both of you because there are definitely times I've come out my face at you both. Um, and it turns out you're probably right. <laughs> I was probably way off base. <sighs> All right, this, let's jump. This actually surprises me. I, I, I Part of me really wants to, I'm not asking you right now, but part of me is curious for an example because I, I'm surprised by this. Well, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe that can be a topic. We can revisit old topics and take completely different viewpoints. At least mine would be. Um, All right. So on that, let's jump into topics. So recently, the umpteenth version of a Batman movie has released starring uh, Moody Vampire and Lenny Kravitz's daughter. It has, it's made, I think it's already made, what, six, 17 billion dollars. 
despite being so dark, you can't see any of the figures on screen. Batman has been a pop culture staple for 75 years. He's been in dozens of comic books, live action TV shows, over a dozen movies. The myth of Batman is that he's seeking justice for victims of crime as he was a victim of crime and he'll stop at nothing to protect the innocence of Gotham City. However, now we live in an era where police are more militarized and more brutal than ever. Does Batman even make sense anymore as a, a hero to hold up? What does it mean that we valorize this myth of a vigilante who ignores due process, rights of the accused, and standards around brutality? What do we do with Batman now as we live through a law enforcement reality that I would, I'm going to say that he has inspired? So I just wanted to know what you were all thought about, where your thoughts lie on the Batman. I think it's interesting that you connect Batman to law enforcement. Doesn't Batman represent um, a need that law enforcement never fulfilled? I would say, yeah, that's how it started. You know, the myth is that Gotham City is overrun with street crime and the cops are too corrupt to do anything. So Batman rises up and he basically has to do their job with advanced technology and methods that are illegal, right? And in the early part of these stories, like Batman is very much an enemy of the police, but then he starts working with the police because when they need someone to step outside of the law, they put up the bat signal. I connect it to law enforcement because I think that that myth is very tied in with the idea of it. Jason, what do you think? Do you see that connection? It is something I I really kind of struggle with. And even Trisha, what you just asked is such an interesting question because I think, and I know a lot less about Batman than you do, Chris. I haven't read the comics or anything, but I've seen a lot of the movies. I do find the character compelling in a lot of ways. But clearly, in terms of like the the hero that Gotham needed that the police weren't fulfilling, as you said, Chris, I think it was, you know, it, it has been someone who is willing to torture people to get answers, who's willing to do certain things that the police aren't willing to do, not just because they're corrupt, but because they have certain rules that they're supposed to follow. And Batman only you know, has no rules or has one rule, however you want to look at it. What's interesting, though, again, the way you just asked it, Tricia, is it seems like uh, what I'm reminded of, which a, a phrase you've used many times, Tricia, is a, a lack of imagination, because... Yes, when the police are corrupt, and one might say even now in our present day, we do need different heroes from the way law enforcement often presents itself. But is Batman that hero? Now, I, th- I think watching Batman, I feel much more self-conscious. Like, no, really, this isn't the hero that we need. We do need something different from the law enforcement we see. And I can, I guess, kind of understand why in the early days of the Batman figure, it seemed like that was the kind of hero they needed, but hopefully it seems like we, our thoughts about this have evolved and, and we need a very different kind of hero. And the last thing I'll say at this point is it's interesting for me to think about the black Panther party, because that was a group of people who I think in, in some ways felt that, you know, black people were not being protected by the police. And even in some cases were being terrorized and killed by the police. And so they created a party for self-defense and that one might argue like that was a better model than Batman where they they armed themselves, but they were like, we are only here for self-defense. And when people's lives are threatened, we will be willing to use guns. Otherwise, we are not. It's, an, it's a really interesting question. 
But Chris, mm. Chris, 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 yes. as long as I have known you, yes. the only person in the room who thought Batman Returns was a great movie. Batman Returns <laughs> the, was the, the best one the, of all of them. The, the person who at times I think really had fantasies about potentially being Batman. I used tell to practice what, when I was a child. Yes. T- tell us what you think in response to this question. I mean, I don't want this to be an interview of me. Yes, I've been a lifelong Batman fan up until about five, six years ago when I really started to deconstruct what the myth meant. But, you know, the more you read into this story and the more that you look at it, you know, the law enforcement piece, like Trisha questioned in the beginning, like it's so clear to me, right? This is a story about law enforcement, right? Batman works outside the law to bring criminals. You know, whereas Superman and Wonder Woman, those stories are far more mythic. Batman's idea is like, I fight street crime. I'm a millionaire who fights street crime a billionaire who fights street crime. And like in this current age, the older I got and the more in tune I got with the way our society works, I just realized that, you know, Batman is really popular. This idea of like, oh, well, if if the cops could work with what Batman has, then, you know, maybe that would be for the benefit. There's an, in one of the um, earlier Batman movies, definitely not Batman Returns because that movie is just fantastic. In one of the earlier Batman movies, there's like this, uh, scene that's played for like laughs where a cop is like Batman's on the scene the cops are calling it in it's like suspect is going up north on Maine in a black tank and it's supposed to be funny because like oh my god Batman has a tank we live in a world where the police actually have tanks now and they deploy them against citizens and I can't help but think that this myth that we collectively have about Batman, just like the myths that we created in the 50s and 60s, like help sport spur space exploration. I can't help but wonder if this myth of Batman has contributed to some of the policing that we see today, or at least our ideas around it. Like, well, the police need to do what they need to do in order to get what they need to get done done. I'm not pinning this on DC Comics and Batman by any means, uh, but I'm always interested in cultural artifacts and how they impact our reality. Trisha, have I gone too far or do you see where I'm going with that? I don't think he's purely about law enforcement, right? I think there was a, there's a question of justice there, right? There's a question. Um, what I think is most interesting about Batman is the idea that your search for justice has to happen outside of law. Like that it, it, outside of the system of justice that we have created, the solution exists outside of it. That's what's always been intriguing to me about him. So not so much that he's a little bit of like a signal of law enforcement, right? But that he's actually the antithesis of it, right? Because he has his own codes, right? He doesn't kill people. He does use all these tools, but he really leans into the detective mode. And I don't want to get into the weeds of the movie because apparently this is what makes this one compelling is that he actually strikes you more as a detective which is which I think leans into the kind of idea of him being somewhat damaged by the work he does. So I do think that Batman's kind of darkness and recognition that the tools that you use to find criminals can also damage you. Like, so I think I've always found him psychologically interesting in that way. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that he's like a precursor to a, diff- a version of a cop or like selling a version of cops, but actually selling a version of the pursuit of justice that complicates it, that tells you like, you know, your methodology matters. 
when you chase the dark side, you might also have to embrace the dark side for yourself. Like those kinds of thematic elements, I think are kind of interesting to me. And so I've never really kind of found him within law enforcement, but I just thought like the way that you framed the question initially suggested that he was some sort of a foil, but I've often seen him as existing outside on a different plane and asking different questions about whether it was possible to ever get justice and what does that even mean and what do you have to do to get it and what will it do to you as you pursue it those have been my kind of um, push for Batman so I still in some sense find him intriguing as a figure but because I think he asks deeper and richer questions than criminal justice pursuit does that is an interesting statement I'm not sure I see it that way but that's that is interesting what you said, Chris, what does resonate with me, there has been this concept in policing and the kind of evolution of policing of, you know, the criminals have X, so we need X or X plus Y to respond, or yeah. we're always going to be outmatched. We need faster cars. We need to be able to chase people. We need bigger guns. We need helicopters, you know, tanks. On the one hand, just in a vacuum, that's maybe it sounds kind of logical. Like the criminals have, you know, have these big guns and if the police are going to stop them, they need bigger guns. And yet again, like it's such a, I think when you take a step back, it's such a problematic approach that we're going to make a safer society by, you know, emboldening uh, violence or making violence more you know, making one side even more powerful to be more brutal. And I don't, you know, I, I think you're right. Like it's not a direct line from Batman, but I mean, that is the thing about Batman, right? He's got this technology that the police don't, ha- in addition to his willingness to cross certain lines, he's got technology that the police don't have that uh, is, can overpower the mm-hmm. criminals. And, and that he puts in the service of the police. That's what's interesting, right? So yes. I, I'm like, I'm like listening to what you're saying, Jason, and I'm like, you know, what Trisha said, I'm still chewing on it. I, I think both of you are saying are right. And when you mix them together, you end up somewhere, you end up a third place. Not to get too philosophical, but what I've been thinking a lot, I mean, the whole concept of justice, because I'm thinking about Trisha, the point you made, mm-hmm. it's we are really wrestling with that concept, frankly. Yep. You know, if you look at it in kind of an Old Testament way, it's this kind of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now there's this kind of, I mean, what's interesting about this moment, and I hope is a reason for optimism, is you see a questioning broadly about, does the concept of justice in the sense of you did bad thing, you go to prison for this number of years, you see some growing critique of that really across the political spectrum for different reasons. And that's just really interesting. Like what, what is justice? I mean, part of me wants to say is should justice even be something we pursue from a legal standpoint or should the point well, be public safety? This should is what Trisha is be- saying. Like this is yep. the part of the myth that she identifies with, right? Like you have to step outside the system to find justice. But what's interesting about the Batman myth is that it, it ties his ties to law enforcement in this story are so strong. He's like friends with the commissioner, you know, that he's always delivering at, uh, villains to the, to the cops. Well, that, that's like, what I was going to say. His and justice they, is they rooted. still end up in jail. Yeah, like, that's his justice the thing. is they rooted in the, the legal system. Yeah. yeah, and so I, I don't know. 
I don't know. There's something about the methods and the myth that I think don't match the moment. Not anymore. And I'm, I'm not to say nothing of the billionaire angle. Like, hey, Bruce Wayne, you want to stop crime? Maybe fund all the public schools. You know what I mean? Like, that's always the trope. But there's always billionaires in these hero stories because we worship billionaires. Um, but it just, I don't know. There's something about, listen, after 40 years of being a Batman stan, I just fell out. It doesn't speak to me anymore. Um, well, and which I ha- part of it doesn't? Because I think that's what's interesting. Which part of it doesn't? You know, is it, yeah, is it the ridiculousness of a billionaire spending his time doing that? Or is it, or is it the fact that it is the piece that feels like it's a gateway for a kind of law enforcement kind of um, mentality? I think the part that doesn't speak to me anymore is that Batman is really associated with street crime, right? Yeah. The movement of drugs or guns yeah. or, you know, terrorizing citizens. And he unleashes a torrent of violence against those people. If, if you're going to pick an analog in real life, like yeah. a lot of the street crime, there's probably people of color, probably people who have all sorts of needs and necessities. And sort of like to cheer on someone who's ready to pound the shit out of drug dealers and not necessarily <laughs> like business owners or the people at the top who are causing this situation. But the fact that as a society, we're like, oh yeah, Batman, get them. Like, pound the shit out of those guys. It, it kind of, it's instructive. I mean, all media is instructive and I don't like what it's saying anymore. I'm really intrigued. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I'm really intrigued by the psychological aspects of Batman, Trisha, and also the things that you said, like just the idea that to, to the thing that you see and identify is like how he exists outside the justice system to find justice. But part of the myth is that like he steps out of he stops out, steps out of the legal system to find justice and then deposits whoever, whatever he gets back into the legal system, which is problematic well, when people do that in real life. Well, by the way, what I think of, and I've been thinking about this when I think of Batman, Ahmed Arbery. Say more. Ahmed you know, Arbery. three guys are like, this guy is, even if they were wrong, this guy is violating the law in our neighborhood. He shouldn't be here. The police aren't doing anything about it. We're going to jump in the car and get our own guns. We're going to make a citizen's arrest. And we're going to deliver him to law enforcement. I mean, ostensibly, that's that's what they claim. But but that I mean, there's obviously an awful racial component. But put that even put that aside for a second. They were emulating Batman. Mm-hmm. So it's the vigilante justice part that is a little bit tricky. I think I mean, so. I get- yeah, I think that, I'm, and then the, there's a lot of assumptions that you have to make about Batman. There's a lot of trust that you have to have in his capacity to know right from wrong. I mean, one of the things I think is really funny about Batman too is how ridiculous it is at the end, right? Because what it does, ref- what it does reflect is he operates outside the legal system or the justice or the criminal justice system, and then he places them back in it, and that's when it all falls apart. If you notice, like it all, like it's like it, it's, and this man is doing this all over again. He's like, like bailing out a ship that has a hole in the bottom. I, exactly. Cause it's like <laughs> the next thing you know, next week, they've been released onto the street and he's back to it. So there's always been a trace of the ridiculous to Batman as well, which is probably why the campiness of it was better than when it went to the full dark side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know no, you're right. I mean, I wouldn't use the word ridiculous, but sort of like the, the Sisyphusian like nature yeah, of that. I know. Uh, I guess it is ridiculous when you on the broader scale, right? Like, oh yeah. man, the Joker's out again. But it, but you're right. When it's '60s and campy, that's one totally thing. But when it makes it dark, right? In the '80s, Batman went dark, and it was about drugs and drug dealers and guns and child molesters and the rest of it. 
you know, and it's just sort of like, yeah, I don't know if these people should be beaten with an inch of their life. Well, of, I, mean, I don't is, know. Well, this is what's interesting to me, right? What's fascinating to me is that in the genre, they altered the perception of what a villain was, right? Mm. Like, you know, maybe shift from the Joker in the 60s, like you said, to something darker in the 80s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. Why hasn't it, why, like, why doesn't Batman take on terrorists? Why like, doesn't he evolve? That, yeah, like, why doesn't, why doesn't that representation of the villainy evolve? Because that's what's interesting to me is, right? Like, you have, we're still stuck in the 80s and 90s version of a villain. We've moved beyond that complexity of a villain. And so it'd be interesting to say, what is a world in which Batman's skill set is trained on what we now think of it as villainy. I love this question. And let's ask it to Jason first. So you and I have more time to think of a good answer. Jason. <laughs> That's great. That's Jason, <laughs> given what Trisha just said, right? If we were going to transform the myth of Batman to work today, like to work the, the social climate that we have right now, the relationship that the police have with the citizenry, like what would, if we were going to retell the Batman origin story today, what elements do you think would resonate with this modern era? I don't know if I like that question. Because Why not? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that if what would resonate with the modern era would resonate with me. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. Along the lines of like, like Trisha said, like Batman at one time, like it was ridiculous and campy in the sixties and seventies. Right. Then it got dark and the, the kind of crime that he was going after is different. Well, crime is different 40, 50 years later. Like if yep. we were going to tell a new story about someone who stands up for the little guy, steps outside the legal system to accomplish these goals, I'm just curious, what do you think those goals would be? What would the methods be? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is a group of hackers in Eastern Europe who are trying to shut down pipelines or shut down electrical grids or metal in elections. Mm-hmm and using technology to find them and not worry, like, just like Batman, not worry about, you know, national sovereignty and fly surreptitiously into Russia and grab them and bring them back to be tried in the United States. Morally ambiguous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Trisha, what do you think? What would a Batman look like if, if the concept was born in 2022? I mean, in a weird way, Batman actually then functions as the exactly his descriptor the world's best detective using your intelligence and the and and all of the technology at your disposal which by the way now batman is just stalking everyone he's got surveillance tech everywhere only way that everywhere right he could just have surveillance tech and he'd be able to like tap into who all the criminal elements are Mm -hmm. but i think what's what's weird about it is batman would have to be forced to operate at the level of villainy that we traditionally reserve for Superman, right? Like you, you're gonna have to go after big figures, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to define world shakers, crime, world shakers. That's what you're going after, you know, because what you're then doing is evaluating the harm that's really happening in the world, and you would be going after potentially politicians, you know, like because that's the thing that's interesting. He'd have to turn on his quote unquote friends. He'd be like, really, what you're actually doing is egregious and destructive, and I'm going to have to take you down. Like that, those are the things that, so the people who are at his dinner parties are the people who he would have to then go after. Take after. I, I mean, 
I'm going to go one step That'd further. That would be interesting to even watch what that looks like for him to look around well, and say, you know what? Because he's a so, traumatized, right? Isn't yeah, he's sorry, trauma. The reason why real he's quick. done it is because of his mommy. Yeah, his, his mom trauma. And dad. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, real quick. Trisha, did you, I can't remember. Did you see the recent movie? No, but I've just been reading a little bit about it. And so I've been curious. I mean, just real quick. I did see it. I mean, it is essentially, and I don't think I'm spoiling it. This is the very beginning. The Riddler while Batman, I didn't know the Riddler out, was in it. Damn it! Oh. He's the he's the villain. When Batman, oh, no when Batman is going <laughs> after street street, I'm gonna put thugs in quotes. When he's going after street criminals, the Riddler is exposing corruption at the highest levels, and it does raise this question. Of, I mean, the Riddler's awful in it. He's awful, awful, awful. But it there's a moment where it's kind of like Batman, like you're dealing again with like I mean, pe- yeah, people are violent, like they're doing bad things, but there's corruption all the way at the top and you're ignoring it. Like yeah. you're in bed with these people. That's is, kind of the, one of the moral dilemmas of the movie. This is what I would say. Like the Batman today, like that myth being told today would be someone who was working against the police. If you, it would be a, Batman would be a person of color and he would be a person who was traumatized uh, by maybe police action or inaction and takes to the streets to actually protect people from the police or protect people from police inaction. I think that would be a hero that would make sense for this moment. Like I, a more militarized cop with less, with, with, with no leash. That's, that's not something I want to necessarily hold up. Not in this moment. This, that's the wrong kind of person. Do you know what I mean? So that's how I would recast that whole thing. Well, the other thing to me, though, that's interesting is because Batman has been stuck and we'll just I'm sorry, we're not going too far into the mythology, but Batman is stuck because of the trauma. Mm -hmm. So part of what's interesting to me is kind of the way that they reanimated Spider-Man is and then by having this Latinx kid. Right. And so Mm -hmm. the question for me is what happens if Batman is allowed to kind of make peace with his trauma and see the world anew? because he's kind of stuck in looking at petty thieves and petty criminals because of his parents. But if he were to have a sort of transformative moment in which what you've just described, it'll actually allows him to access the real villainy of what's going it on. Would, right? this, this was the theme of one of the movies where yeah, he, right? realized, he realizes that like Rachel Ghoul had been investing his time to destroy the structures of Gotham City. So it led to an increase in street crime, which then led to the death of his parents. And he was like, oh my gosh. And that was the whole thing. But then he went back to beating up street thugs. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's an interesting question. And I think uh, a couple of years ago, we had talked about the like superhero myths in general, specifically around Marvel heroes and we're billionaires factor. And I think Batman fits very neatly into our ideas of like, an ultra capitalist person who makes their own rules. I mean, we valorize yep. these people in real life. I mean, Elon Musk somehow is a popular person despite being absolutely reprehensible um, with all of his public statements. But, you know, what do I know? But I'm glad the movie was good, Jason. You liked it? I really did. It exceeded my expectations. I, I want to see it again. It, oh. it was really interesting. In, enjoy. Zoe Kravitz is the tiniest human being I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> she is phenomenal three, in it. Three foot six and 16 pounds. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how she, a stiff wind. She's the tiniest human. Okay. Anyway, let's well, move I'm on. I'm fascinated by the movie we've just created though. <laughs> Let's go watch that. Hollywood, hire us. The three of us will bang it out. Let's move on. Speaking of movies. Oh, thank you for that segue, Trisha. Speaking of movies, 
um, one of my favorite Instagram girlfriends, Amanda Seals, had recently posted her musings about the black horror genre in film, uh, which was popularized by Get Out. And this is a genre of film which uses the real life horrors of racism and exclusion to drive their plots. And what Seals asks is like, is this helpful or is it exploitative? Uh, you know, since Get Out, there's been a couple of movies around this theme. There was Us, Antebellum, Lovecraft Country was on HBO, and it uses racism and brutality against Black bodies as a backdrop to these stories. Um, you know, and Seals asked the question, like, is this just, you know, torture porn? Is this just another case of like us watching Black bodies be brutalized for entertainment? Um, what do you guys think? First of all, do you like these movies? I, I know Jason just saw Get Out like earlier today, probably. <laughs> but do you, do you, <laughs> you know how Jason stays, but do you like these movies? Now, again, can we have a little bit of a conversation about horror? Because sure. I think, right? Because I think what's interesting to me about Get Out is how it sort of revitalized to me the horror genre a little bit with um, Black people. Mm -hmm. who've often been sort of like the first to die in a traditional horror film, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what's interesting is the idea that you can have a horror film that's with Black people in it. And what does that mean? And how do you treat the Black characters in that story? But generally, horror films are often about other things, right? They're metaphors, right? That's what usually makes it up. That's at least when people talk about horror films, it's the fact that they're metaphoric. Okay. So part part of the thing that's tricky for me about this new like approach to black trauma in the horror film is that it's not metaphor. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, do you know what I yes. Mean? Yes. Oh my god. So, How do you take what's in my head and then just make it make sense? So that's the question for me is like, because people are, you know, listen, we've all sit in a filmmaking class somewhere and they're like, let's analyze horror films. And they're always like, well, let's talk about the sexuality and what that's about. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Night of the Living Dead and how it's about racism and community. No, capitalism. Do you know what I mean? Like, capitalism you know, or, or, yeah. or, or a number of things, right? Yeah. And it's like, what is that all stuff about? Um, because you can't actually talk directly about those things. So you use horror as a metaphor for that. But what happens when the horror is actually <laughs> the thing that makes up the content? It's like a dream where you don't go into the, the deep part of it anymore. Yeah, that to me is surface. the failing of probably these films is like, what are you trying to tell me about Black people's real experience? That's different from what I'm actually seeing in the content mm -hmm. in front of my face. I think, I think, I think um, Get Out did that well. Right. Because End the black list. person was not apparently traumatized. Right. Initially, you're watching him have an experience in which you're you kind of have to accept and understand black people to understand the horror of it. But, but from the beginning, you can kind of look at it and go, OK, well, this seems perfectly nice. It's a nice family. What's so horrific? You know what I mean? And that is what was so clever about it. Now it's just like I'm just going to show you a slave and do horrible things to the slave. And I don't really. That doesn't really I don't really have a message. That's the movie. <laughs> Roll credits. Jason, what do you think? Jason, you saw it. You did seek it out. Yes. Yeah, you did seek it out. Okay. When? I, Finally. I, I, no, it was, it was at least a year ago. I think okay. It was, it was pre pandemic, I think. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was, so I really liked it. And, you know, that, that, that video from Seals 
where she asks, like, is, is are these movies for white people to teach them That's about the question. terror they put black people through? Are they for black people to understand the terror that they go through? And I don't know the answer to that, but I thought Get Out, I mean, there's a lot we could say about it. One of my takeaways, which to me made it very worthwhile for me to see as a, you know, frankly, as a, a white man in this society, a very vivid visualization of the problem with white liberal admiration for black physicality. Mm -hmm. I found it really profound. I thought it took, it took my mind places that I hadn't been before. And I, I thought it was amazing in that sense. Now, I agree. Now, if some people, if people of color watching it, find it traumatic, is that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, it was educational for me. So sorry, you had to go through that. But so I think, I think her question is really interesting and I don't know the answer, but mm -hmm. I do think, again, as a, as a white man in this society, I found get out really. And, and as a white man, I mean, I'm not, not with any arrogance, but I'm, it's not like I'm someone who never thinks about these things. I do mm -hmm. think about race. I mm -hmm. think about the exploitation and I still found that film really in instructive. But even seals in her speaking out in her video, she acknowledged that get out is sort of, on a different shelf than yeah. everything that followed it. It was successful. So people were like, oh, let's run with this. And then we end up to what I think is the end point, which was last year's Lovecraft Country, which I wa watched the first two episodes, which was basically like the three black leads being chased around by racist cops. And I, I yeah, there was a larger backdrop about existential horror and cosmic whatnot. But at the end of the day, just watching black people get shot at by the cops. And I was like, I don't, I, I'm not horrified. I'm just being traumatized. And I think that's is what Trisha is getting at here is that like, yeah, where is the metaphor in antebellum Janelle Monet's movie where, um, and I did not see it. I read about it where basically spoiler alert, like white people are just capturing black people they find to be problematic and like putting them in like a theme park where they're slaves and like torturing them. What's the metaphor there? Like, what are we to learn? I don't, I'm not certain that these movies that have black people in them are for black people. And I, I just wonder what the white audiences are taking from these things. Well, let's think. Can we ask ourselves about, like, I mean, I, I have to look at it in contrast to other things, right? Because a horror film is traditionally your worst fears come to life in yeah. some ways. Um, and so whose fears are coming to life there is presumed to be the Black person's fear, which is at some presumed. point in time. Presumed, exactly, right? Because it seems to me that some element of it is playing into sort of like a fantasy fulfillment of being able to recapture Negroes, right? Mm -hmm. To put them in their place. So maybe those movies are working on multiple levels. Black people, here's your worst fears <laughs> come to life. White folks, here's something that you fantasize about, I guess, theoretically. Um, if we watch it. I don't, you know what I mean? I mean, but I think part of it too is it seems to me that they're fundamentally getting the horror genre just wrong, right? Like, I think that also seems really like a mistake. Because Wait, what I, is the thing that you're, what is the thing that it's, what is the, dis, what is the disturbance that it's creating in you? 
like what is the pleasure aspect I mean, of, of it? I think if you have a story to tell, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I love what you said before about horror is about metaphor, right? It's about- Generally. Generally, like Night of the Living Dead uh, with the zombies like attacking the mall is really a, it was partly a commentary on the consumerist culture. The fact that it takes place in a mall and all these brainless humans are sort of like stumbling through it. The image was supposed to be evocative of how we were living our lives. Do you know what I mean? Um, and they, they, they can push that into a story about horror and you associate the two and it's like, boom, art, okay? Um, and then there's just like slasher porn stuff like Saw, okay? Yeah. Which if you enjoy that, I'm not gonna yuck your yum. But the thing is, is about the the slasher stuff can be very exploitative, especially of women and people of color. And we kind of accept that from the genre. But this, which puts black people front and center and then says like, oh, we're going to brutalize them. See, see, my question is, what do you want me to see here? This doesn't raise the level of like art, because like Trisha said, I don't really under, there is no metaphor. Yeah, black people are being brutalized just they are in real life. And that sucks. And it's like, if it is just at the slasher porn level, then I'm like, do we need this at all? Because for so many of us, this is just the news. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's the part of it. I think that that's the question, right? I mean, I guess. What's the intention of the filmmakers? Yeah, I mean, but I think, I mean, first of all, monetarily, like it's a good genre. Um, But I, I think part of the thing is like at some point in time, we also began to push back on slasher films for that reason from a sexist perspective, right? Mm. We're just like, you're just killing women. Yeah. Like you're not really doing anything here. And maybe that's a question to be asked of these films, like which is maybe you're just putting black people in films and killing them in interesting ways for you. Um, And maybe that's all you're doing, but I don't know how to the extent to which this is enjoyable since I can see you literally kill black people on Twitter if you people capture images of this horrible thing and put it, you know what I mean? So I feel like that's that's partly the question here is what am I supposed to take from a thing that isn't a metaphor, but is actually a, a kind of reality? I think about Jordan Peele and he seems to have just a real appreciation and, and mastery of the horror genre, right? Just like in general. And I'm, I don't mean to speak for him, but like, it seems to me that this is a genre, again, he really understands and has command of. And to him, for the reasons we're talking about, it probably feels like a really apt self-expression about, you know, the experience of racism and brutality and things like that. So I I don't know. I just think of artists who find a medium they like, and it seems to really be for them a way to communicate an experience that that medium is really apt to communicate their experience. That's something artists do. That doesn't at all take away from what you're saying. It could be that people who watch it are really just traumatized, re-traumatized, brutalized. And, you know, Amanda Seals at the end of that video said, I think it it doesn't speak to my spirit. Maybe it's not, it's something that a lot of people shouldn't watch. I mean, I'm not telling people. Yeah, shoulds are hard. Yeah, I don't mean should, but but, but I I I guess I don't, I don't know that I, I personally, haven't thought about this a lot, but like, it's, I don't know, to the extent that I feel like watching different things Jordan Peele creates, both comic and horror, the extent that I feel like that, I, I kind of get some of the logic behind it. I could see why he makes those kinds of movies, but I also get that the impact may not be positive. 
Well, I mean, I think what we're talking about is there's a mastery to it, right? Yes, um, I was that just going to say if that. If you don't master it well, you end up doing something that's a bit of a dribble. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. something like the story, whereas like the story of us or us, yeah, is that us? Us. Story of us? That was the second film. Us. That one was, um, you know, that was a little bit, um, it was, it was not deep. as, um, it was not as intriguing to me as Get Out. But I think it it didn't play with black people as tools in yes. the same way that some of these things do. I think some of it is like the 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 sort of dehumanization of black people on the screen itself mm. is partly the problem sometimes. It feels like we're all colluding in the dehumanization, whereas mm. it's supposed to be an opportunity for you to see the dehumanization of black people as a real traumatic and problematic thing. But I think the dehumanization is actually the thing the movie's doing. And can so I I'm just, not, you know, sometimes. Can I just jump on that immediately? Because the, uh, the absolutely, Trisha. And the thing I think is that sometimes these filmmakers, and I'm not talking about Get Out, because like I said, that's on a different level. But I think sometimes mm-hmm. these filmmakers be like, okay, I feel this way about like, 12 Years a Slave and all these slavery movies. Okay, you know what? We're going to show how brutal slavery was. But you know what? It just, I think it's traumatizing to Black people and white people. Honestly, in a culture that says that we're not fully human and we don't feel pain, like showing these images doesn't actually reinforce man's inhumanity to man. I think it just reinforces like, it just sort of desensitizes the like, desensitizes the viewer to violence against black bodies. And I think that's the issue. Like for me, that's why I'm like, this genre doesn't, like Amanda says, it doesn't speak to my spirit. I don't know who needs to watch this film. Uh, these, these collection of films, like, yes, there's a mastery to this because I think Get Out was really masterfully done. But the things that have followed it, I just think need more of a vision. That's all. I just think I, it's just lacking a vision. So Possibly, possibly. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's tricky for a lot of things. I mean, I think, you know, we've had many discussions about what a film, what films can do. And if someone does it well, you are taken to another place. If they don't, you want to throw it away. <laughs> yes. If you don't, you're like, you have missed and you've let something dangerous into the environment. I know. And you're like, you're like, ooh, no. This yeah. is, I mean, Mm-mm. but all it tells you is how tricky it is, how tricky it is to do art that actually asks questions and actually um, brings you anew to something. Um, I think that's what that's what that suggests. That's that, the you skill know, of making of being a that's a skill of being the artist, though. I mean, I guess that that's the yeah, mystery I mean, of it. Because yeah, like, I don't know. There's a lot of dribble out there. Jason, take <laughs> well, just, the last word on this, please. Well, just to complicate that a little further. Then no, there's... this is the last word. Don't you dare complicate things at the last minute. <laughs> complicated, Jason. No, I'm comfortable it. with this being the last word. What's really oh, let's problematic. Let's see if we're comfortable, Trisha. Go ahead. <laughs> what's really problematic is, is art that has a lot of things about it that are impressive and compelling and yet puts bad things out into the world. I think of Avatar, for instance. Oh, I enjoyed Avatar. So, I've but I didn't think of it as it. art. So I don't know what you don't like it as commercial art. <laughs> no, I, well, no. I guess my point is it was celebrated because technically, right? It was very yeah. innovative. It was this, actually that's all yet, I know about it is how technically story, amazing it was. But the story is the age-old white savior, noble savage. I yep, mean, it, it's very... it dances with wolves. We've seen it so many times. I was just like. This is what you chose to do with all this technology. You, you know, you want to do James Cameron revolutionized film in many ways. I mean, this is probably not fair, but it reminded me of Birth of a Nation, the original yes. one, which is like 
Birth of a Nation wow, that's hardcore, was the wow. first <gasps> hard left <gasps> in the first episode. You know, it was the first film with a close-up. It had all of this cinematic innovation, and it was absolutely disgusting and horrible. Wow, that, that's that, what you took Avatar. I was be just the... enjoying a little bit of Avatar Whoa. movie, but man, you did for, not. <laughs> I have to say, for the last word on a topic, Jason pulled no fucking punches. <laughs> Oh, I think talk about black trauma. I need a moment. So <laughs> let's move on to media recommendations, which no. is something you've seen, heard, read, or experienced. You think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. We've had months to think about this. So get ready, listeners, for the most exciting, revolutionary media recommendations you've ever seen. These two are like basically giving me the finger right now. <laughs> Oh, and Jason, why don't you tell the people what you've been, you know, curating for the past nine months? Well, I will share what I A saw recently. the attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to recommend, and you know, you two, I told this to a little earlier, another Zoe Kravitz, recent Zoe Kravitz movie, Kimmy on Netflix was so good. She's amazing in it. The themes in it are just really resonant she plays a woman who has been assaulted and has major issues with anxiety and agoraphobia as a result and then she becomes aware that another woman outside of her apartment like far from her apartment but is being assaulted and she's in a unique position to help oh but she's afraid to leave her apartment like that's her thing so it is uh it's incredible just incredible I'm intrigued. Wow. I'm intrigued. It's wow. that good. But I mean, I usually, before I watch anything lately, I go on Rotten Tomatoes and it was like 98% or something. So I was like, oh. I will right, we'll watch that. And it was, it was that good. I will, uh, I will check that out for sure. Trisha. Um, so I, <laughs> if people could see you looking around the room, Trying to lay eyes no, on a no, book, no, no, no. an I article. Know exactly. No, 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 no. Listen, I've I've not picked up a book, so I know absolutely not. Um, I saw. So of course, you know they've been talking about these weird documentaries, and I've seen a few. I saw Tinder. I saw Tinder Swindler. Speak on it. Oh, I never, I never heard on it. I'm oh, Jason, set your face to stun. So, so I met my wife on Tinder, so now I'm really nervous. Yeah, you so should have taken her money. Anyway, go ahead. Money, yeah, Tinder <laughs> Swindler is exactly what I love about it. Is it's, it's an apropos title. It is a guy who swindles people he meets on Tinder, and he's Tinder Swindler. And the you know, and but now apparently I should also watch Bad Vegan because I think that's all part and parcel of the genre. And somebody said, you know, the some, somebody more clever than I said on Twitter that one of the things that makes these these things work is the amount of grace that white people are given to do things, which is why they are scammed and scammable. Is because you know. As a black person, your spidey senses start tingling as soon as, soon as you enter certain spaces. As soon as they, someone does something, your brain is like, boop, 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 boop. this is wrong. But the nature of how white folks can enter spaces makes certain scams just right for them, mm-hmm. just right for them. And so 
that's what's really interesting about this genre. Now let's just talk about a documentary that is all, that is revealing things about whiteness. Like this is what I'm saying. This is interesting to me because it's like I'm not going to be able to go into a place and expect people to give me thousands of dollars. And it's all part of like that Elizabeth woman, that woman who got all that money for a technology she had not even created yet. Theranos. So it's all yeah. part Theranos, right? So it's all part and parcel of how, and so anyway, I don't know, we have to talk about this, you know, we have to talk about scam culture and why it permeates a lot of the things that happen with in the current, you know, ethos, right? Are you recommending people watch The Tinder Swindler? I'm completely recommending it because you know what? I want you to watch it because I want your mouth to just stay open the whole time. (laughs) I want you to just go, what? Why? I, How? I have to say, Where? though, I completely agree. There's another thing I'm not recommending. This is not my recommendation, but inventing Anna about yeah, a that's woman who pretends though. to be a socialite. Um, what's really interesting about that story, it's like you said, I think there is a concept in whiteness, which is sort of like, well, there's there's just like a weird undercurrent that I don't understand. Where it was like people just assert themselves and you just want to believe them. And I'm always oh, it's like, innocence. what? Innocence. It's, it's this innocence. Like yep. also the idea, like, oh, these people don't look like criminals. Yeah. I think that's a huge part that's of it. That's a big part just, of it. They I want to say, like I personally criminals. know black people who have been swindled by black people on Tinder. Oh, I just I, say listen, that. I'm not no, saying no. that black people don't commit crime. That's no, no, not no, what we're no, saying. No, 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 I'm not saying they commit crime. We're I'm talking saying... about the level of Yes. I could never, I could never walk into like a diamond store and be like, I want your (laughs) finest diamonds. The, 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 the wire transfers on the way. Oh, right away, mister. That would never happen to me. (laughs) That would never happen to me. You don't even know how I would fix my mouth to ask for that. You know, we're talking about the type of swindling. Yeah. Listen, I've, we listen as black people, we've been swindled by other black people. We know what kind of swindle that is. That is somebody coming up and jacking something and we're like, oh yeah, honey, I know. I know some... when it's happening. Yeah. But black people have people in their swindle? family who swindled <laughs> swindled out of money by my family members. You know what I mean? Like that's fine. But never have been able to get cars, property. Like gotcha. I, okay. come on. All right. That's the I part get, of I get the it swindle. now. That was a helpful yeah. distinction. No, 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 no. It, no, but I totally get but I think that's the part of the interesting thing about the swindler and like all the scamming that can have it's basically your ability to interact with spaces that are supposed to have their guard up. Yeah. Potentially can't you can't move around that space. Banks, you know, it's, those kinds of spaces. It's stunning to it's me. Weird. And, so it's, and it's compelling. So Tinder Swindler. Anderson, I totally recommend you know it. And funny. you know what? The women are great. The women are fantastic because I won't give it away. Spoiler alert. Some interesting things happen in it when some of the women band together. They band together. Yeah. So it's really interesting. To protect um, but themselves. I also think that's an interesting lesson. It's an interesting lesson about, I would also suggest white girlfriendness and what it means to be. Honey, anyway, now you're, now you're not recommending. Now you're just like fully exploring topics. Yeah, Let's talk topic. about it. I, I know. Anyway, 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 that's my, what I'm recommending. My, recommend, my recommendation is related, actually. Speak, it's related to things both of you have said, because I'm going to recommend uh, a skit that was on Saturday Night Live when Zoe Kravitz was hosting um, oh, a couple of weeks ago. Amazon Go. Yes, can you shut up and let me recommend to the people? It's the only skit I watch from it. It's the best thing ever. So, okay, I'm going to start with describing the skit and just talking about why I thought it was so brilliant. So basically, it's a fake commercial on Saturday Night Live about the new Amazon Go stores. And there's one here in New York where you walk in 
we talked about this in the podcast. You walk in, you take whatever you want off the shelf, you walk right the fuck out the door and it just charges your Amazon account, right? So when the skit opens, like people are like, wow, I just take what I want. And then the, it, and like everyone's like, yeah, it's simple. It's easy. And they cut to a black guy who goes, yeah, right. Right. And then it's just all about black people interacting, sort of like, okay, I'm putting this back on the shelf. I'm not purchasing it. Or all right, now here's the sandwich. I'm walking out <laughs> the door, you know, and like this whole universe because, and it's, it's connected to what you're saying is sort of like only, honestly, I'm just going to say it, only white people existing in a bubble of whiteness would even think of a store where you can just walk in, take what you want and walk out. There's no danger in that. Uh, for white people. Uh, and I, that's, that's why I thought the skit was really brilliant uh, because as soon as it started, I knew exactly where it was going. And I was like, this is exactly where it needs to go because I think so much of our imagination around technology can be constrained by our ideas about people and the way that whiteness and white supremacy sort of like rests on us. Who, who Were black people in the room when that idea came up? Be honest, do you think so? No. I'm sure they did. But, I, you know, I can't imagine, a, I can't I imagine know, there was no, a person of color in the room when they were no, like, no. let's conceive of a store where you just take what you want and walk out the door. There's no you know way. So I would recommend that skit. It's really funny. And you can also see uh, pint-sized dynamo Zoe Kravitz. She has suffered from anorexia and bulimia, so you should stop that. <sighs> I okay, fine. And, and I apologize to everyone I've triggered with my poking fun at the tininess of Zoe Kravitz, but also she's like literally four foot six. Like I, I just, her mother is so tiny and she's so tiny. It's just, if she has children, will they just keep getting smaller? I will stop. That's our show, everybody. <laughs> That's it. We're back. We're back. That, Welcome we're back. back, everybody. Welcome yes, back. Good to be back. I love you too. So there, I said it. And I'm very excited to be doing this again. I really am. I miss this so much. And on that note, everybody, bye. 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 Bye.